Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions and provides unbiased answers. Invest Talk, over 31 million downloads and counting. I wanted to get your opinion on ticker symbol. I just really like it as a long term play. I uh, appreciate the show, appreciate all the knowledge. Thanks, guys. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, July 22nd, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. And it's the summertime and volatility is picking up, both the downside and the upside. We've seen that over the past four days. Today was kind of a eh day, really, a kind of a mixed day. Uh, we're going to dig into that and help unpack some of the news of the day and market movements that may shape the market going forward and your investment strategy. Now, we're going to operate, as always, with my mission statement, which is independent thinking and shared success. That is our our assurance to you that no matter what we're speaking about, we're here to just give you the facts and using the perspective that I have of over 20 years of investment experience, uh, and I'm going to give you perspective on uh, strategies, individual companies, sectors, asset classes, all of that, and I'm going to present it without bias. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and of course, I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions, and when you do that, you get to shape the show, and that's why I encourage you to interact with us during our live stream program right now, 4 to 5 Pacific time, or if you're listening after hours, no big deal at all. You can always call our Invest Talk Voice Bank and leave a message. Either way, the number never changes at 888 chart That's 888-992-4278. Now let's get to our first listener question now. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Mike from Boston. Thank you for taking my call. I wanted to ask about Horizon Kinetics Inflation Beneficiaries ETF, ticker symbol INFL, for a medium to long-term war. I'm wondering what your take is on this. Would it be a good choice for the current investment landscape? Or am I better off taking another position in precious metals to address inflation concerns? I'd love to know your thoughts, and I'll be listening on the button. Thanks. All right. This is a great question. This is something that you you definitely uh, need to get some inflation hedging exposure. Uh, and this is an ETF that has about 38 different equity holdings. Some of them are precious metals. Wheat and precious metals is in there. Uh, but you also have uh, you know, Franco Nevada, another uh, precious metal streaming company. But then you have Internet Intercontinental Exchange. You have uh, Archel Daniels Midland, that's in the ag space. You have Brigham Minerals, which is uh, obviously basic materials. So there's a broad swath of companies in this that will generally go up with inflation. And that's the main goal here. What I like about it is that it's split between. 50 and 50 equi- uh, U.S. equities and non-U.S. equities. So you get significant 
exposure to foreign names. Now, a lot of those foreign names are going to be more in the commodity space, and that's something uh, to consider. That's a good thing. Now, 22% of this fund is in the basic materials, 32% in financial services, 20% in energy, 5% consumer defensive, and then about 8% healthcare, and you have a few other uh, sectors, 7% real estate. So it's fairly spread out, none in consumer cyclicals, none in utilities, none in communication services. So you're, you're not getting exposure there, but those are areas that in an inflationary environment tend to not do quite as well. So that's understandable. So this is more of an instant exposure to the sectors and companies that generally have more upside potential when inflation is consistently high, which I do expect it to be for the foreseeable future. I think it's going to be more secular as opposed to cyclical. Now, you're going to have times where inflation ebbs a bit, uh, maybe flatten, flattens out. And I think we're going into that period of the next six, tw- nine, 12 months where uh, inflation is not going to be really accelerating, but maybe leveling off more uh, until that next catalyst, which we'll always, uh, we'll always get to. Now, what you, one thing you have to understand is you have an expense ratio here of 0.85% on the INFL, and that's pretty high for an ETF. I mean, our average clients uh, pays in the the low 1% uh, range, and we're a full service advisor and do a lot more than just uh, hold an ETF. So uh, that's a bit expensive in my book. I think you can do it yourself. You can go in, go to Morningstar and find uh, the the uh, the holdings and kind of do it yourself, and it would be a lot cheaper. Now, my focus point today concerns the question, do stock market records rest more on faith than corporate profits? Wall Street expectations for this year for corporate profits are still below where they were a year ago before the pandemic, even though the S&P is up 60% since then. I'm going to break down why that might be and unpack that for you. Also, housing shortages for starter homes. I'm going to look at that entry-level housing is near a five-decade low when it comes to inventory, and what does that mean for the market as a whole? And then low-volatility funds, low-volatility funds. A lot of people like low-volatility funds. Problem is, most people think that they're no-volatility or low-volatility, even though it may say low-volatility. It's... Compared to what? Low what? Low volatility compared to the S&P, compared to the bond market. What does low volatility mean? Low is a subjective term. So I want to unpack this because it's very important, especially for those that maybe think that this is a safe way to gain equity exposure. But we all know, if you listen to the show for a long period of time, that equity exposure in general is risky. So Let's look at that in context. So we're going to unpack that, hopefully, if we have time. So those are things that are on the docket for me, but ultimately, I want to hear from you. So give me a call. Let's check in on the market today. S&P was up about eight points, a very modest update there. The NYSE overall, much broader index, I've said this before, down about 47 points, about a quarter of a percent there, uh, modest down day Overall, you're going to see the S&P, uh, you're going to see the S&P and the NASDAQ up. Uh, even the Dow is up 25 points. Uh, but if you look under the hood for the Russell, for example, that was down 34 points, 1.5%. 
So big dichotomy there between the small caps and the large caps. Pretty interesting. Uh, and you're still seeing, I think you're going to see more weakness on the small caps in the back half of the year. So you need to be selective on those small cap names. Now we're heading into a quick break, but my phone lines are open and we're ready to answer your finance and investment questions here on Invest Talk at 888-992-4278. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24 7. Don't forget to call Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Yes, I'm wondering about Quidel, Q D E L. Just trying to get a approximate price that you guys would think would be a fair value. Thank you. All right, looking at QDell, this is a company that develops rapid diagnostic te- diagnostic tests for infectious diseases, uh, and clearly has been a benefit benefit to uh, the, the pandemic has been a benefit to them. Earnings in two thousand nineteen. A little less than $3 a share. That was down from $3.06 in 2018. 2020, made $19.92. Expect to make $7.82 a share this year. Um, and, you know, the main question here is how much will the Delta variants uh, benefit their their business? Will you continue? You are likely to see these variants, but how quickly will people get used to it? There's going to be a theta variant and a, a gamma variant. There's going to be different variants. That's the nature of viruses. They, they mutate, they change, um, and it's going to spread, especially amongst areas that are uh, not vaccinated. That's just what's going to happen. Uh, and you're going to have rallies like in QDEL when these variants kick up and more people uh, uh, tested, uh, more places requiring testing, more governments requiring testing, and that's going to benefit them. But if you look at the history of this business, it's kind of all over the map. Uh, And so I'm not excited about this name. It's not a name that I I would be selling on rallies because I think uh, this Delta variant is more media hype than than anything else. Not really much to talk about. And yes, it's spreading in areas that uh, there aren't as many vaccinated. But overall, the numbers are still very, very low. So uh, this is not a name that I would be interested in picking up. All right. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today concerns the question, does does the stock market record rest more on faith than corporate profits? And I'll start off with saying that operating operating earnings for 2021 are expected to come in 14% higher than where analysts were expecting at the start of January, so start of the year. And the SP is up 16%. So you might say, oh, well, earnings expectations are expected to be, are now 14% higher uh, than that's the S&P should be about 14% higher as well. Well, that's more of a short-term coincidence. Historically, there's not a ton of correlation to earnings expectations changing, at least in magnitude, maybe direction, but not magnitude. Uh, And so what will drive earnings going forward is the big question. And I'm going to distill it down to three main factors. Now, the first is 
when these when these reports come out for the second quarter and you're going to have base effects we've talked about this earnings are going to look like they're up dramatically year over year uh but it's going to be more about what ceos say about next year and how much will the post pandemic era impact still impact their business overall from a supply chain issue from getting workers from uh, spending within their particular uh, industry, etc. So as always, expectations for the future are going to matter far more. And then CEOs of cheaper companies, value companies, are going to try to show that, hey, our prospects are now much, much higher in an era of fiscal domination, as opposed to monetary domination. And that they deserve higher valuations, similar to where growth companies are. And then growth companies, you're going to see the opposite of base effects. They had big boost from the pandemic shutdowns, a lot of the software companies, the Pelotons in the world. And their numbers are going to look slower because of the base effects. And the question is, should they deserve lower multiples than they're trading at? Okay. And you're seeing that with uh, Netflix, for example. They came out with earnings and their net ads were pretty weak. But in a market that is dominated by companies with prospects that are far out in the future, the FANG names, the tech names that have trading at these very high multiples that are in general putting the major indices trading at very high multiples, the most important factor is actually going to be bond yields. We've seen that recently with a 10-year falling from almost 1.8% in April to a low of 1. Point, what do we get to? 1.1, call it 1.12%. Just a couple days ago, now we're at 1.26. Will the prospect of more government spending, more government borrowing especially, will that be the driver for interest rates to kick back up for maybe those growth names to start to underperform? And if you get that, if you get a headwind from higher bond yields, and it doesn't have to be dramatically higher, just trending higher. If you get that headwind along with a slowdown in economic growth, which you're going to get in the back half of the year, we talked about this. That's why you're getting a little more volatility in those value names and those commodity names. You're in that consolidation period. Okay. And so, yes, earnings are going to look very good. But it, once again, it's not about what happened last quarter, it's about really what's going to happen next year in the back half of this year. And what that growth is going to look like, what those earnings are going to be, and how that relates to bond yields and cash flows. And that's really going to be the driver, not necessarily uh, the quarter-to-quarter -quarter earnings prospects. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And for investors, the need to remain vigilant never ends. That's why we're here, to help you manage your fear and greed, to help you balance risk versus reward. So we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. As we move through summer, you'll want and need unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions. You've come to the right place. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. What's 
Let's go talk with Andre in Los Angeles. He's looking at Centin, Centin, Centin Corporation. The owner looking to buy it. No, it's it's a stock I I came across and I'm looking at. So I just wanted to see. Uh, I was looking at the fundamentals, wanted to get your take on the stock and maybe the industry. Okay. Yeah, so this is Centin is a managed core organization focused on government-sponsored healthcare plans, Medicaid, Medicare, individual exchanges, Obamacare exchanges, and it serves about 21 million medical members, mostly Medicaid, 14 million, Medicare Advantage, 1 million, uh, and so it's mainly in the Western region, um, and you know it's it's a company that as Obamacare has expanded. Uh, so have they. They made a dollar ten in 2014. This year they're supposed to make five dollars and nineteen cents a share. That's dramatic growth over that time period, and I I like their business overall. Uh, so, you know, we own a company that's in a similar vein. I like those that service the uh, the uh, the government as the government spending expands. Uh, these kind of companies are going to uh, benefit more. You look at their return on equity. It typically, over the last decade, is averaged in the low to mid-teens, which I like. Their balance sheet is pretty clean and solid, uh, producing strong cash flow. Uh, so, and the chart, the chart looks, the chart looks fine. It's been consolidating up here for the past three months or so, and honestly, looks to be potentially ready to break out. Looks like it's it's building power to break out from the all-time high uh, in 2018 in September. So, you know, uh, I'm going to give this a thumbs up. A lot uh, about it I like. I like the, the profitability. I like the cash flow. The valuation is not stretched based on recent cash flow, although that may moderate. Uh, but I don't see a big reason why. So uh, I'm going to give Centene a thumbs up. Thanks for the call, Andre. Now, when people invest time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their question quickly. So here are some questions from iTunes reviewers. Cash Society says, what's your thoughts on Southwest Gas? SWX is the symbol. Seem to have a good balance sheet, small mid-cap company, which I like, and a solid dividend with a reasonable payout ratio. Does yield 3.4%. And it is in the gas distribution business. It's a utility company engaged in the purchasing, distributing, and transportation of natural gas in the American Southwest. I like that, that it's in the Southwest, uh, Arizona, Nevada primarily. And those are growth areas of uh, in population. A lot of uh, people from California are moving to Arizona, to Nevada. I know a handful uh, and other parts of the Western United States. And that's a good thing for their business. And and so I like this company overall. Uh, it, like you said, it does pay a nice, decent dividend. And the dividend overall, let's look at the cash dividend payout ratio. Let's look at the payout ratio. Payout ratio is 46% and has been growing its dividend. Yeah, it pretty much has raised its dividend every year for since 2000, oh, since 1990. Oh, no, there we go. It started raising in 07, excuse me. And it's pretty much raised its dividend every single year since then. So I like this business overall. I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I like the natural gas space, especially as we move towards more uh, electrification of our vehicles. Hey, where do we get most of our, our energy from? 
when it comes to electricity, it's usually produced with natural gas. And so I like the space. I like the company. Uh, profitability is decent, not fantastic, but uh, I like the company and I like the chart. The chart looks pretty solid. It's been moving up uh, recently and consolidating here in this 62 to 72 range. And if it can break above 72, I could see a lot more upside. So I'm going to give SWX a thumbs up. Now, we had another question on Blackstone Group. This is another question from iTunes. And Blackstone is one of those names that it's in the financial services space uh, and it's highly levered. And so this is going to do very well when the asset management business is good, when asset prices are rising and you have a levered company like Blackstone that operates in the alternative management space, financial advisory space, that's a, that's a good business to be in. And so it's, it's an aggressive play. Let's just say that. The valuations are stretched. Uh, if you're looking at enterprise value to revenue, for example, you're talking about six, uh, six times, which historically is uh, on the higher end of what they typically trade at. Uh, so, you know, I like Blackstone. It's not my favorite in the financial services space, but it's a good business. And as long as the stock market's moving up, it's going to probably do much better than the market, but it's going to do much worse if you have a larger pullback. Thanks for the call. And thanks for the reviews. Thanks for the reviews. Most of all, we really appreciate that. Now, on the next and best talk of this story, how companies can best handle supply chain blind spots. Manufacturers' most critical currency is a combination of trust and reliability, so maintaining supply chains is essential. Steve will get to that story tomorrow, what that means for various industries. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the Internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing 
by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. It's an Invest Talk Thursday. Justin Klein is on duty and he's happy to provide unbiased answers, but you've got to call with your questions. Invest Talk 88899 chart. Let's head up to Long Beach and talk with Christian looking at Unilever. Do you own it or looking to buy it? Hey, good afternoon, Justin. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, first and foremost, I just want to congratulate you guys on over 33 million in downloads. That's amazing. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, so I am looking to buy it. I had it on my um, on my watch list, and I saw it dip a little bit today. I just wanted to see if this is a good long-term hold. Well, first, this is going to be a great lesson for everybody out there. And this is Unilever. This is your quintessential consumer staple company. They make food, laundry detergent, soaps, shampoos, etc. And very large $145 billion company. And they just had earnings. And it was down, let's see, what was it down today? Uh, about five and a half percent down to $55 and 52 cents down three over $3. And the reason was is because their profitability was hurt. Why? Because of commodity prices. And this is what happens to consumer staple companies more broadly in an inflationary environment. Their input costs go up and they typically cannot keep up with those input costs when it comes to prices. They may raise their prices a bit, but it's a competitive landscape and they can't do it too much. And they typically don't do it fast enough and it hurts margins. And so you have to ask yourself, in an environment where inflation is likely to stay relatively high, is that going to be good or bad for a Unilever? I'm going to say bad over the next decade. And so are there going to be times where you have a more disinflationary impulse? Yes. It's not going to be this cons consistent trending uh, data set where you get 5% every month uh, of inflation. It's going to be quite volatile. So there'll be periods where uh, inflation's cooling and that'll probably help a Unilever. And I think that's going to be in the back half of the year. So in the, the short term, I actually think down around $52, $53 a share, that would be a good support level uh, for a trade as some of those margin pressures ease. But you said longer term. And in that environment, in a longer-term inflationary environment, I don't like these consumer staples companies. And so I'm going to pass on Unilever. Even though it's a good company, I just don't like the macro backdrop from a longer-term perspective. I just see inflation being regularly elevated, and that's going to be bad for the staples sector. doesn't mean you, get, you don't buy them at all, 
Um, but you have to be very selective. And Unilever, while it's a good company, it's not quite strong enough for me to get excited about it. So I'm passing on Unilever. Now let's talk a bit about the supply of entry-level homes. And it is near a record low. Now, Freddie Mac defines entry-level homes as less than 1,400 square feet. And it's near a five-decade low, the supply of them. Now, data on new construction from the National Association of Home Builders shows that single-family homes are significantly bigger than they were just a few years ago. Now, a lot of this has to do with the incentives within the industry. You want margins. When cost inputs are high, every stick of wood that's expensive that goes into a home is going to need to produce some level of margin. And at low square footage and low prices for those entry-level homes, the margins just aren't there. Now, in the late 70s, on average, 418,000 new units of entry-level homes were built each year. Over the last decade, the number has fallen to 55,000 on average per year. Almost 85% drop. Last year, only 65,000 of these type of homes were built. And this is across the country. For example, in Florida, the share of homes with living areas of less than 1,500 were 58% back in 1985. Now, down to 12% of new homes. And that's just one example. The national average is in the single digits, which is pretty crazy. So it goes to show you that uh, there's a lack of supply and the ability for the baby boomers, which are really, or not ba- excuse me, the millennials, the millennials, the children typically have the baby boomers, uh, that are coming into this market for entry-level homes, they're, they're having trouble qualifying. They have a lot of student debt. And they're competing with Wall Street that are going in and buying a lot of these cheaper homes that are easier to rent out and have better cap rates and returns. And so they're, they're, they're having a lot of trouble getting into these type of homes. And that's the sad part. And I don't see that changing anytime soon until you can free up the millennials to buy these homes, to be able to afford these homes. I know dozens of young, young millennials, late 20s, 30s, that would love to buy a home, just can't afford it. And this is very, very typical. It's more common than not common, right? It's more often that a millennial is too much debt, can't afford to buy a home, than can actually figure it out and fit into a home. And a lot of that has to do with supply and the dynamics within the industry that are just incentivized to build bigger homes, more expensive homes, so you can have bigger margins, and that's just the way it is. And now you have Wall Street coming in and buying up really any supply uh, with cash, and so it's hard to get into those homes. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how that changes. If there's some sort of legislation from top from the top, maybe student loan forgiveness, these things would help. Now, should it be done? That's another question, but I think you'll see that over the next five, 10 years or so. Now, 
This is Invest Talk. Our phone lines never close, so people leave their finance and investment questions day and night, 24-7. So let's grab another question from 888-99-CHART. Hello. I wanted to get your opinion on a particular stock. It's IGXT. It's a pharmaceutical film application. Thank you. All right. This is a penny stock, IGXT. It's trading on the over-the-counter markets. Intelligenics Technology Corp. $52 million market cap. Do they have any revenue? A whopping, whopping $1.6 million in revenue trailing 12 months. Their EBITDA is negative about $5 million. Revenue growth nice, up 41% year over year. That's a positive. Uh, but I don't know much about the business. And it's a penny stock. I don't like penny stocks that don't make money. And it's an oral drug delivery company focused on the development and manufacturing of pharmaceutical oral films based on its own proprietary technology. I really have to dig in this technology. I really have to understand what it is, what the viability is, what the delivery system is. Does that make sense? Uh, but I, I just typically don't like these type of names that uh, continue to issue shares, that continue to uh, lose money and finance themselves by diluting shareholders. I don't want to be in that game because 99 out of 100 uh, just kind of grind you away over time. Uh, it did break out recently, but it has back tested, it tested its uh, consolidation range. So it is near support. I will say that. But that's all I could say positive about the name overall. So I'm passing on it because I don't like these OTC penny stocks that lose money. Now, if 2021 is moving along at a, pass, a fast pace, well, it probably is. If that's what it feels like, that's what it is. Because we're now in the third quarter and you're seeing volatility pick up. And I think it's worth taking a moment to make you aware of the benefits of working with myself and Steve Peasley at our client-focused company, KPP Financial. We're based in Irvine, California, and we practice parallel investing, meaning we invest right alongside our clients and we provide unbiased guidance. That's how we execute on the independent thinking and shared success mantra, both on and off air. So if you want to set up a time to do a free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings, just send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP Financial Offices in Irvine, California at 800-557-5461. Yeah, an 800 number. We've had that since the early 90s. Now, uh, if we can just talk for a few minutes, see what's on your mind, see how we can help in any way, we would love to help you. Now, this is Invest Talk, and we thank you for your help surpassing the 33 million download number. And please be sure to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. Next, we will play another caller question in one minute. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. And Steve and Justin, thank you for your loyalty. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Your rating is a vote of confidence that leads to higher visibility and causes more people to discover and listen to Invest Talk. So please tell your friends and family members about the free Invest Talk downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. 
Remember to include your brief question when you review and rate on iTunes. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24-7. Don't forget to call Investar, 888-99-CHART. Hello, gentlemen. This is John from Texas. Uh, general question on dividends. I uh, heard you mention, I guess, the yield. When you buy a stock at, say, a certain price, you get that percentage yield. But then how does that change with the change in stock price? Are you locked into that yield? And then if, they, if that company increases their dividends, you don't get that new percentage. And also, when a company cuts their dividend, are you still locked into the dividend you had earlier? Great question. And the answer is no, you aren't locked in. And that's why equity dividends are are variable. And a lot of people do not understand that. But they can be variable in both ways, positively and negatively. A lot of people chase a dividend. They say, oh, I'm getting 8, 9, 10, 12%. And they're not understanding the viability of that dividend. The fact that, hey, that dividend can be cut tomorrow by any amount may be eliminated completely by management. It, they have zero obligation to pay a dividend. Zero. It's not like a bond. Bond, they are obligated to pay you a the coupon rate. It's not true with a dividend. So when I'm saying, for example, Unilever, the, the, the caller a couple times ago, uh, the current Dividend yield is 3.5%. That is based on what it's paying out today and the current price. Now, if the current price moves, it doesn't matter. You're still going to get whatever that dividend rate is. So for Unilever, for example, let's go to that. You're looking at $0.51 a share, $0.51 a share, and it's a $55 stock. So over a year, you're getting a little over $2 a share. And on a $55 share price, currently, that's 3.5%. Now, if the, it's going to continue to pay that dividend yield unless they increase it or they decrease it. Usually, most times, they keep it flat. But you probably want to be invested in companies that are raising their dividend over time. Unilever, it's been going up and down. Over the last decade, it's gone from... Oh yeah, it's been pretty volatile actually. But 2010, it was trading. It was it was paying out 27 cents a, sh- a share per quarter, so a little over a dollar. Now it's doubled since then. It's been a dividend grower, and that's a positive. So understand, dividends are not sacrosanct. There's nothing that tells a company they need to pay a dividend. The only type of companies that have to pay a dividend. Are REITs, and that's a that's a, that's a percentage of their their income. Now, maybe they may not have any income, maybe a growth type of REIT or something, but they have to pay it. It's a pass through entity. Those are the only type of companies that have to. But that also can go up and down based on their business prospects. So make sure you understand how dividends work before you start becoming a dividend investor. Now, let's keep things moving. And as I've told you, we get Invest Talk calls from across America and around the world. And here comes a listener question from Cabo San Lucas. Hello, this is Matt calling from Cabo San Lucas. Take on Bungie. BG is a symbol. I like the fundamentals, but down 12% or so. I wanted to know if you think it's a hold. Thanks for your show. Really appreciate it. 
All right, this is Bungie Limited, and this is a company that processes grains and oil seeds, fertilizer. Uh, it's in the agriculture business, and their business has done very well during the pandemic. Earned four dollars and sixty six cents in two thousand nineteen. Two thousand twenty, they made ten dollars and thirty one cents. Now that's going to come down a bit here in twenty twenty one. Seven dollars and ninety four cents expected. Six dollars and ninety seven cents expected next year. But that's still dramatically higher from 2019. And yes, this stock is off its 52-week high by about 20%, down to $74.55. But this is an example of how the commodity space kind of got ahead of itself. It's going through this consolidation pullback period. And uh, unless you think we're going to back into a disinflationary environment or a deflationary environment, you want to be buying up a lot of these names in on this pullback. And you're getting that now, 2.8% dividend yield, good balance sheet, and they're well-positioned. Bungie is well-positioned for the current environments, and I like it. Uh, I would be – it's now hit its 200-day moving average, which is uh, pretty nice support. So I would be buying this on a pullback, right? Yeah, there's written some major support here around $70 to $75 a share. I'm a fan. Thanks for the call. A lot of good questions, a lot of good stocks today on the show. So I appreciate those calls. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here each and every weekday is help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you need to do it right this second at 888 chart Listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99 Chart. Let's go to Maddie in Redwood City looking at Vale, V A L E. Hello. Yeah, you own it. You're looking to buy it. Oh, I'm uh, looking to buy. Okay. Well, this is, is it not a good space. time to get in. Well, it is consolidating nicely and uh, outperforming the basic material sector as a whole over the past few months, which has had uh, a broader pullback, and I like that. Uh, I like that it is it is well diversified in the commodity space. Let me. Uh, where's my cursor here trying to pull this up yeah so it's uh the world's largest iron ore miner and this kind of goes back to one uh what i said yesterday on a lot of these mining companies are not investing in new production and that's a good thing in my mind because it's going to keep prices elevated and the value of their underlying reserves is going to stay elevated as well. And they're going to have a longer runway to extract value from these elevated prices. And so I'm a fan of Vale. It's not my favorite within the space, but I do like the company. I like the way it's acting on the chart. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Thanks for the call. Now, I want to touch on limited or low volatility funds. And this is these type of funds have brought in a combined $30.2 billion in the five years trailing February 20th. So five years before 
February 2020. Okay. And this is a massive amount of inflows into uh, large cap ETFs. And the focus is dialing down volatility. However, since the 2020 market meltdown, these funds saw $18 billion in net outflows from March 2020 to May of this year. Now, what that tells me is the majority of these people that are investing in the space do not understand what low volatility means. Once again, low is subjective. Now, low volatility strategies are at their best when the markets are doing their worst. And they lag when there's a bull market. That's the nature of low volatility index. You're not capturing the ups quite as much as the upside or quite as much of the downside. Now, over the long term, the investors are betting that these low volatility funds, there's a good trade-off between less downside and not gaining quite as much in a bull market. And if you go back three decades plus, that's generally been a solid bet, risk versus reward. But the last sell-off, a lot of these funds really didn't perform like low volatility uh, ETFs or, or funds. For example, the iShares MSCI US Minimum Volatility Factor ETF, USMV, that was down from peak to trough 33%. While the entire US stock market index was down 35%. So just it still had 95% of the capture of the downside. And if you look at SPLV, the Invesco S&P low volatility ETF, that was down 36.3%. So it did worse, had a higher maximum drawdown than the overall market. Now that's one event. That's one type of market environment. And if you look historically over the last decade or so, these low volatility ETFs have captured about 60 to 63% of the market downside. So you're getting about two thirds on average, less volatility outside of last, last spring. Now, what are the takeaways? Well, the first is you're trading upside participation for downside protection. We know that for the most part, but results vary between funds because the funds definition of low volatility and their asset mix are going to be a bit different. And number three is low volatility is not, does not mean no volatility. It just means less volatility. So don't go into these thinking that, Oh, th this is, this is a safe way. This is safe. It's not, it's still equities. And so you have to go in with those expectations. And if you, Going with different expectations, and it looks like a lot of people did considering the outflows after last spring, you're going to be burnt. So make sure, just like anything, you do your homework and you go in with the right expectations. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family members about our free podcast downloads, which they can find over at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And as always, investtalk.com. And if you would like to rate and review us on iTunes we and leave a message or leave a question with your rating, we will prioritize your answer. We would appreciate that. Now, you can browse by topic over at investtalk.com as well, 401ks, precious metals, tech, whatever is on your mind. We have a show that corresponds to that topic. So 
Just read the episode titles until you find the topic of interest. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered and offered to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights.